gets to it. Oh, there it is. There it is. All right. So we're going to finish up our distinctives of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. We sang that song. He gives us confidence in mission, confidence in sharing the gospel. And his ministry in the, in the Bible is given very clearly. I just want to get right into it because we, uh, we have a lot of room to cover. But as we have seen before, the ministries of the Holy Spirit is plentiful. We saw in weeks prior that he is our helper, our illumination. He mediates the presence of Christ. He fills us in that he changes our character. He says to be filled in the spirit. Ephesians calls us to that. Galatians tells us to walk in the spirit. And then our lives are starting to change because of what God has done. And he's given his spirit to us as we surrender our lives more and more to the word of God. And now we're going to talk about this aspect of the Holy Spirit, which is spirit empowering. It's what we believe. It's what we depend on. It's what we ask for. This is effectiveness in ministry, particularly in teaching and preaching. Without the Holy Spirit, what we are saying, without the power of the Holy Spirit, our sermons, our messages, our teaching falls flat on the ground. And folks will not be changed, will not be moved. And it it would simply be an exercise of just speaking and looking at the Bible. And that is something we do not want. We want God to work in our midst. It's not just enough to be right. Now we, we argue for that. We desire to be true to the word of God. We, we have argued for expository preaching where we take the things of, of the word and we explain it. But it's not just enough to be right. One pastor said it this way. There are two extremes that lead to powerless and fruitless preaching. One is the spirit without the word. The other is the word without the spirit. The spirit without the word where folks are simply enamored with experience with, and there is no preaching, there's no clarity, there's no uh, given time for the word of God to be exposited and explained. But on the flip side is the word without the spirit. That is the confidence in simply my sermon preparation. The confidence in simply having definitions. The confidence in simply having nice elocutions and having it all work out. Ritual, music, human wisdom, eloquence, skill in language, and style are inadequate. The divine power is in the spirit joined in the word. That's where we want to be. Preachers must be acutely aware of the need for the Spirit to work in and through the preached word. This work of the Spirit begins in the preacher himself as the Spirit assists the heralding of the word. And what we're saying is, here's what we believe, that as the preacher preaches, the Spirit takes the things as it is centered in Christ and Causes it to be believable. Causes it to be persuasive. Causes it to pierce the inner depths of your heart. And it's something that cannot be cajoled, cannot be manipulated. We cannot plan for it. The Holy Spirit does as he wishes. 
Another preacher who I love, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he knew this very distinctly and he said, what was it that turned the world upside down? Was it just theological teaching? Was it mere enunciation of correct doctrine? Over and above that there was this mighty demonstration of the spirit and of power. How did these people turn the world upside down? The answer is that in the book of Acts, we have an account of a great revival of the spirit outpoured. What happened could not have happened otherwise. How did all these churches come into being? Was it merely that the apostles taught correct doctrine? Of course not. It was the Spirit's demonstration and power which accompanied the correct doctrine. Correct doctrine can leave the church dead. You can have dead orthodoxy. You can have a church that is perfectly orthodox. Orthodox simply means orthocorrect. Dox means belief. You can have a church of perfectly orthodox but perfectly useless. Over and above, there was this demonstration, this unction, this authority, this outpouring of the Spirit's power. It is the only explanation of the astonishing things that happen. And that's what we pray for at RBC. We are acutely aware that we cannot change people. We cannot reach into their hearts And do the work that only the Holy Spirit can. And that's what we pray for. We ask for God to be God in their midst. Now, we sometimes, uh, and you've seen the church has has gone into this program-oriented, this dependence on devices and programs and dependence on uh, gimmicks and and visuals and all these things and yet the Bible says that has no way of truly changing someone. It can gather a crowd. It could bring people together. But the one thing that the Bible says that changes people is the work of the Holy Spirit by the word of Christ. So we're going to look at different passages and the first two I'm going to go over pretty quickly um, but, and then the last point I'm going to lean into a little bit more. So we're going to look at different parts of this. But God gives these passages so that you as a church would be absolutely dependent in prayer on the Holy Spirit to make preaching and testifying effective. We want to be a fruitful church. We want to be an effective church. We don't want to have, we don't simply want to give half of the gospel. We want to give it in its full breath and allow God to work. So God gives these passages so that you as a church would be absolutely dependent in prayer on the Holy Spirit to make preaching and testifying effective. Now, in the New Testament, there are three clarifying and and compelling reasons that you should depend on the power of the Holy Spirit and not on yourselves. In preaching and in testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would also say in hearing. 
the word of God. The first one is the power of the Holy Spirit promised. It has been promised since the beginning that the Holy Spirit would be given to us. And we, we've sung songs about it and I want to make this as blatant and as clear as possible that when we do ministry, gospel ministry, we are in need of the Holy Spirit and Jesus promised he would do that. So we're going to look at a, a few verses. Turn with me to John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, He says very clearly that we need to be abiding that is remaining in him. But if you notice in John chapter 15 and verses towards the end and the disciples relationship to the world. He says in 26, well let me look at 25. They have done this to fulfill the word without a written, that is written in the law. They hated me without a cause. And he's talking about how when Jesus comes to the world, they are going to hate him without a cause. They are going to hate him and he's done no crime. He has done no sin at all to anyone. And they're going to hate him without a cause. And then he says in 26 and 27, because of this injustice as we serve here in this day, he says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And then verse 27, look at the pivot. And you will testify also, because you have been from me with me from the beginning. And you'll notice as we are going through these verses, you're going to see four elements, sometimes three elements, but most of the time four elements. The first element you're going to see is effectiveness, and I would call that spirit empowerment. You're going to see that there. And then you're going to see the substance, which is the word of God. It's never someone just spouting off ideas in their head or looking at current events in the newspaper, saying one verse and saying whatever they want that has nothing to do with the context of the verse. It is actually looking at the word of God and actually expositing and explaining it to people. Thirdly, you're going to see the center, the white hot center of this kind of preaching is Christ and the gospel. It's always centered on Jesus Christ. It's always centered on what he has done on the cross. It's always centered on his resurrection and his ascension. It is always centered on our resource in Jesus. And then you're going to see the spread of the gospel and that is in the preaching. There is that actually, there, our philosophy of ministry here at RBC is that there should be preaching. We need to protect it. We need to pray for it. We need to support it because we believe that it is the means by which God has ordained for us to get the gospel out. I'm not a big fan of coffee conversations sitting around and calling that preaching. Not a big fan of it. You know why? Because the Bible says not to do that. The Bible tells us to herald Christ with authority. So in verses 26 to 27, you see here, it says, when the helper comes. And you notice that is spirit empowerment, is it not? In fact, his, his name, Parakaleo, the, the helper, he has come to testify. He has come to help us. He has come to aid us. He has come to aid you, brothers and sisters. That you do not go alone in this. And you notice it's, it's in the context of being hated. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Brothers and sisters, you know if you stand for Christ in his purity and in his wholeness, you know you will be hated. And so for that, when you're scared, when you're ashamed, when you don't want to say it, when you don't want to ruffle feathers, 
Jesus says, I'm sending a helper. Amen? Wow. You think about this, the third person of the Trinity, we have the Father who's the first person, the Son who's the second, and, and the Spirit who's the third, is dedicated to helping you. That gives me confidence, doesn't it? That gives me hope. And now he says, and notice he says here in verse 26 to 27, he says, when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, notice future tense, I will send. In that point in time, in the Gospels, the Spirit wasn't given to indwell in the disciples like we have him now. It was a future tense that is the, notice what his name is, the spirit of truth. That is, he is the author of truth. He is the propagator of truth. It is around the word of God. It is connected to the word of God. So you, that's your second element there. The spirit empowerment and the word of God. And then he says, he will testify about whom? About me. And it's Jesus saying, it's about me. It's not about morals. It's not about principles. It's not about how to do this or how to do that. It's not about history. It's not about the backgrounds, although it's all included. It's not about politics. It's not about uh, Christian nationalism. It's about Jesus himself. That's what the Spirit uses to save and to change. And then he says, and you will testify also, that is the spread, that is the preaching. And so you'll see these elements as we look into these verses, that the power of the Holy Spirit was promised from the beginning. That when Jesus says, I go to the Father, he is leaving the Spirit for us. This ought to take us, brothers and sisters. This ought to encourage us. Remember in Luke chapter 24, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. In Luke 24, you recall, Jesus was killed on the cross and these disciples on the road to Emmaus were depressed. And notice he says, they say, Jesus appears to them, but he doesn't reveal himself. And he's talking to them and they're walking Sadly, they're going home and they think it's all over. Wow. <laughs> Have you ever been there? It's all over. There's so many bad things that happen. It's all over. And Jesus comes right to them. And, and they said, and Jesus comes. Look, no, look at the way he says in verse eight, 19. What things? What things? Haven't you heard? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word, in the sight of God and all the people. And now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death. Verse 21, we were hoping, past tense, we were hoping. We were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. We thought he was the one. And then Jesus speaks and he encourages them Verses later on, he says in verses 45, <coughs> excuse me, 45 to 49. Notice, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So here's that connection. 
It's never devoid or divorced from the scripture. So that's the first element here. It's the word of God. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The spirit will not bless a ministry unless the scriptures are opened up. Secondly, in verses 46 to 47, he says that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Secondly, it's Christ and the gospel. You notice it's not just morals. It's not just stories. He points straight to the gospel again. Verse 48, and you are witnesses of these things that, with the implication that they are going to witness themselves. We already know that that's going to happen. And then verse 49, I am sending forth the promise of my father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And Luke is now promising, Jesus is promising through the author of Luke, that the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he says to wait in Jerusalem till they have power from the Holy Spirit. Now we move to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. The same author This is the same author now. He says, in response to that one promise, if you recall, Jesus himself now says, in chapter 1 and verse 8, chapter 1 and verse 8, He says in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Here it is again. Spirit empowerment now promised. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There's the spirit empowerment. And you will be witnesses, my witnesses. There's the preaching, right? Both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, it becomes hard-pressed. A lot of folks will some come and look at this verse and say, well... The Holy Spirit's power is only given for those, uh, for the apostles at that time. But that's not what the text is saying. The text is saying that is attached to preaching. Preaching is what we still do today. So number one, we're still doing preaching. And number two, notice it says that you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The disciples didn't go to the remotest part of the earth. They were in Judea, they were in Samaria, they were in certain parts. This verse still rings true. And what it is, is what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit is given to generations upon generations of Christians. That the gospel would spread to the remotest part of the earth. Because Christ himself is worthy. And it happened exactly like Jesus said. So the first portion, as we're talking, is that the power of the Holy Spirit was promised. We see it in John. We see it in Luke. We see it in Acts. Now also, secondly, that the power of the Holy Spirit is demonstrated. Is demonstrated. And then we notice first in relation to tongues and then to preaching. Tongues, we know, since we're in Acts, tongues we know, were foreign languages that they weren't able to speak before. And it was a symbol showing the world that they had authority, showing the world that what they said, the important thing was what they said about Christ was true. So you notice he says in Acts chapter 2 verse 4 he says and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now we're going to look at this phrase filled with the Holy Spirit. 
This filling is the spirit empowerment. It's sometimes called filling. Sometimes it's called power. Sometimes it's called demonstration. Sometimes it's called with all confidence, with all boldness, with all persuasion. It is the power by which God gives a preacher to preach the word of God and give it in its clarity and its forcefulness and its persuasiveness. He says here, spirit empowerment is filled with the spirit. Now, this is the different word. This is not the plerao from Ephesians. What we were talking about, it was in the imperative, if you recall. It was a command in Ephesians to be filled with the spirit. For, and not to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. This is the word pimple me. It's a different filling. And that's why it's confusing when we see the word fill. We think it's the same word, but it's not in the Greek. This is a different word. This pimple me means to completely fill, to make happen, to cause to happen. And in fact, the case of the verb is not the same as the other one, where the other one was, plerao, was in the imperative, and that's the command for you to fill your mind with the word of God. This one is in the passive. This is a overtaking by the Holy Spirit. This is clearly, this passive tense speaks to the Holy Spirit's sovereign work in the preacher. This word is connected to an action. And in Acts, it's used sometimes negatively. It says, in, uh, if you recall in Ephesians, I mean in Acts, it says that the men were filled with rage and they wanted to kill Paul. They're filling with rage is that same word. They were pimple mead. They were filled with that rage and it controlled them. Here, they were filled with the spirit and it causes them to preach effectively. Notice later on in Acts chapter 2 verse 14. Notice he says, But Peter taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judah, all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known and give heed to my words. Verse 16, this is what was spoken through of through the prophet Joel. So no, now Peter in verse 14 is preaching. He's raising his voice. He's declaring to them. And verse 16, this was spoken th- of through the prophet Joel. This is the word of Christ now being expounded. Peter himself is taking the word of Christ and expounding and explaining. And then in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 23... He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Where does he focus? Where does he have his laser sight focus? Where does he not move from? He says, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in the midst, just as you yourselves know this man. And here's the gospel. Delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of of godless men and put him to death. There is spirit empowered preaching. And then he turns. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4 and you see it again. In Acts chapter 4 verses 8 through 12. He says here. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He says it again. Pimplemi. With the Holy Spirit. Passive. He's not active. He's not filling himself with the Holy Spirit. He is filled. Passive. With the Holy Spirit. He is empowered. Said to them. Rulers and elders of the people. If we are on trial today for our benefit. Done 
to a sick man as to how this man has been made well. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. Notice, filled with the Holy Spirit, there is the first element, is the spirit empowerment. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Second, secondly, where does he center again? Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Over and over and over. And I'm starting to understand what Paul means when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. With the parallel verse to Thessalonians when he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. He is the only way to salvation, my friends. He is the only way. And he has given us the gospel that you were made to glorify him. And we have all turned away in our sin. And we have been separate from God and we could never meet his perfect standard. And we would be cast into hell forever and ever. And amidst even all of your your protestations and your excuses for all your sins, we all have them. We all have our excuses for our sins. God sees right through it. We would be cast into hell forever. We would have no hope. And Jesus Christ came down. As the apostles preached, my friends. The Nazarene. I could just repeat what he said. Jesus, the Nazarene. Whom you crucified. Whom God raised from the dead. He came down. To die on the cross for your particular sins. Your individual sins. Not just the sin of your actions. But the sin of your nature. Your nature that is bent away from God. That does not want God over you. That does not want God to rule. And the Bible says that if you would believe and trust in him. And repent from your sins. You will be saved in an instant. That is the gospel. That is what the Holy Spirit uses. That's what the Holy Spirit's been using from the beginning. Whether it be actually proclaiming or even a a short conversation of the scriptures being unveiled. It is always the word of God. Spirit empowerment. Christ as the center. And being proclaimed. Now, we've talked about the power of the Holy Spirit promised. But let me, let's look at the power of the Holy Spirit explained. So now we're going to get into it and look at it a little bit deeper. So we looked at the power of the Holy Spirit promised. The power of the Holy Spirit demonstrated. We saw it in Acts. We see it here. I can go to many, many verses. And now we're going to look at the power of the Holy Spirit explained. And notice... There are two major passages. We only have time to go through 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 4 to 6. Uh, Turn with me there. 1 Thessalonians. And here we're going to sit and meditate and look at what this means. Notice he says in verses 4 to 6. Well, let me give two for the... For the context, we give thanks to God. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. Always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. Constantly bearing in mind your work of 
faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. By the way, that phrase labor of love comes from the Bible. The labor of love means a labor in the gospel. Not your passion projects, not your hobbies. The labor of love means laboring in the gospel. Labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. And now he's going to say some amazing, amazing words regarding spirit-empowered preaching. Paul continues and he says, Knowing, brethren, beloved, by God, his choice of you for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. First, what we see in these verses of verses 4 to 6 is that spirit-empowered preaching is realized in the act of preaching, okay? It's realized in the act of preaching. What do I mean by that? Does it, I'm not saying that it comes into reality. I'm saying that as the preacher is preaching, there is this moment in time where he actually realizes that God is taking the things of the scriptures and the things of Christ and is actually changing hearts right before you. And Paul says that. He says knowing. It's the simple verb for being conscious of the fact. I know first. He says knowing brethren beloved by God. His choice of you. I know of God's election of the saints. I know that God has doing a work. I know that the people I am talking to. God has been moving in. It's very clear. We knew when the gospel came out of our mouths. And the Holy Spirit took it and pierced hearts with it by the way the gospel came out. And it was distinctly different. Brothers and sisters, I do not believe in simply a dry lecture of facts. We believe that the Spirit must take the things of Christ and pierce your hearts. And sometimes it looks very different in other people. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But there is this, as one pastor put it, there is a sensible realization of the presence and assistance of supernatural power in the act of preaching. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a feeling like I have lasers coming out of my eyes. It's not a feeling like I could, I could zap someone Anything like that. It's just simply knowing that the Spirit is helping me. And you have some kind of measure with that. If you've ever shared the gospel with someone. Where even verses you don't even. You maybe have looked at in the past. And when you're sharing the gospel. And centering on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit blesses immensely. And all of a sudden you know those verses. And all of a sudden you know how to explain it in its clarity. And you know by God's help. That was the Holy Spirit helping you, brothers and sisters. This is not charismatic language. This is our language. This is not something that's just given over to the charismatics or our charismatic brothers and sisters. This is biblical language. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to proclaim the Son. One of my favorite uh, commentators Edmund Hebert, he said this on 1 Thessalonians. 
As they spoke, the preachers were keenly conscious of the presence of this supernatural power behind their words, producing spiritual persuasiveness and penetrating conviction. Paul delights in the contrast between mere words and the dynamic of the gospel. The missionaries keenly felt as they preached that the message was in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. They well knew that only a power beyond themselves could accomplish the task of transforming spiritually benighted souls. And they knew that the Spirit was working through them to that end. And I've had many experiences with this where I'm just simply... Preaching the word of God, and many times by God's grace, we we have His normal blessings, the normal blessings of the Holy Spirit as He and He edifies us week after week as we pour into the Word of God and we look into the Word of God. But there are some times where I, I notice as I am preaching the Word of God, and I haven't changed a thing. We're simply praying and asking the Holy Spirit to work where all of a sudden someone hears the word of God and in that moment they know God is talking to them. They know God's got their attention. And it is that point that we cannot reproduce. We cannot cajole. We cannot manipulate. It is that point where they are affected by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's me he's speaking about. I need to turn. And sometimes they tell me about it. Sometimes they don't tell me about it. Sometimes they go home and ask God, would you forgive me? And they tell me about it later. And we praise the Lord for how he works in his word. Again, secondly, there's another aspect we see that spirit-empowered preaching, as we have said before, is centered on the person and work of Christ. We can't say that enough. Notice in verse, uh, notice in the verse, it says it again. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you for our gospel did not come to you in word only. We know the word gospel means Good news. And we know that the good news focuses on Christ. And as we said. That God created you. Man has sinned. Christ has come. And you must repent and have faith. It is not a moralism. It is not focusing on be like sermons. You know be like David. Be like Gideon. Be like Noah. It's not any of that. It's focusing on the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ himself. That's what the Holy Spirit is more apt to use deep in your life. It is to unveil the beauty and the splendor and the majesty and the forgiveness and the kindness and the love of Christ. So much so that the message of Christ must be known. He sends the third person of the Trinity so that you would understand. So he would pierce our darkness. And not destroy ourselves on our way to hell. Christ is out in front. In full display of his excellencies and his glories. The sermons are not self-help talks. It bugs me, my friends, when you have folks who proclaim to be pastors and they are not giving Christ. They are attracted by self-help, by money and prosperity, by experiences of of so-called speaking in tongues and they're not giving the Christ. 
and you talk to some of them, and some of them are my friends, and I ask them, how do you know if you're a Christian? Oh, because I had this dream. Oh, because I had this experience. They don't know the gospel. And what is happening there is a fabrication of what real, true Christianity is. Real, true Christianity is life-changing. That's why they can go into these places, hear and sing and maybe even cry, and walk outside and live the same way. That is not the gospel, brothers and sisters. That is not the work of the Spirit. They think the work of the Spirit is all of these things, gold coming out of the air conditioner. What is that? The work of the Spirit is a man or a woman or a child who lives differently and lives for the glory of Christ. That is the defining mark of a Christian. That is the defining mark of the Holy Spirit. We have fallen from that as the modern church. Too enamored with the glittery things. And not with true repentance in Jesus Christ. Thirdly, spirit-empowered preaching, as we have said, is connected to the preached word. This is precisely why expository preaching is so important. It's one of the elements by which the Holy Spirit is most inclined to use for deep soul conversion and change. I'm not talking about crowd gathering. You can have marketers do that. They can do that. They're much better at it, at it than us. I'm talking about real life change. Where an alcoholic puts down the bottle and now wants to serve his wife and family. That's change. Where a mom wants to love her children. Where a marriage that is falling apart, God works together and saves Now, he says, for our gospel, notice the verse, he says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. It did come in word. Let me take it first there. It did come in word. This is very clearly the preached and heralded word of Christ. Not suggested not filled with simple jokes to entertain everyone. It is a proclaimed, authoritative, preached word of God. It did come in word. Notice verse 5. What is this word? It's the preached word of God. The exposited word of God. How can I say that? Notice in verse 6 it says, You became imitators of us and the, tribu- and the Lord having received, received, here it is, the word. They received the preached word, right? In much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8. Afterwards it says here, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Not only did they receive the word, not only was their lives changed by the word, but the word of the Lord sounded forth from them. That's how you know the maturity of of a local church. Now they are people who are propagating the word of God, who are giving the word of God, who are not content with just having it themselves, who are not just content with just enjoying Christ themselves while they see their neighbors and their friends apart from Christ, apart from his forgiveness. They have to speak of Christ. Now by application, both the preacher and the congregation must have a commitment to proclaim the word of God while always centering on Christ. 
preaching that is flippant or does not teach the text or teaches man-centered ideas can only go skin deep. It does not have the power to truly convert as the Spirit will use someone who is proclaiming the Word of God. If you're not doing it, He's going to use someone else. As I said, casual coffee chats cannot penetrate the deadness of man's heart as earnest, Christ-centered, white-hot, expository, Spirit-empowered preaching of His Word. Next. Spirit-empowered preaching supernaturally elevates the preacher and the message. Supernaturally elevates the preacher and the message. Notice in verse, where are we? In verse 5, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. It has to come in word. We have to protect it. We have to pray for it. But next it says, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full Conviction. The word therefore power is the word dunamis. It's not a blind power. It's not a, simply an explosive power, but it's a power sufficient to bring about a desired end. It is effective power. It is the power that saves. It's the power that changes. Though the sermon may even start out in word only, there is a power that penetrates even the darkest of hearts. There comes this power of boldness, this power of clarity of the scripture being taught that comes with forcefulness that is greater than the preacher himself. It's the preaching of Christ that sets a fire. And notice he says, in the Holy Spirit, this is the sovereign act of the second person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, excuse me, third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. His mission is to bring glory to the second person of the Trinity, Christ. He can't be planned. He can't be manipulated. It's only he that brings any real conversions or lasting change. A manipulation of emotions is not the work of the Spirit. Again, we're not talking about gathering a crowd or entertaining folks. We're talking about real spiritual change such that lives are distinctly different forever. We are at the mercy of God to work, which puts us rightly on our faces to pray for his saving and sanctifying work. We must do only what. He must do only what he can do. We can gather everybody. But he's, he really has to come. And take the things. And save our friends. And save our kids. And save our spouses. And do that work. This is precisely why you and your friends. Maybe all listened to the same sermon and you got saved and your friends did not. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. Sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. This is precisely why sometimes you invite your friends. Maybe the RBC and my sermon falls flat. <laughs> though it be true. Though it be biblical. The Holy Spirit was not pleased at that time to be to use it in an effective manner at that time. This is precisely why at times I may preach a sermon and all are edified, but one person in particular is convicted of sin and comes to Christ. Jesus knows how to weed them out. The Holy Spirit brings them in.
This is precisely why every once in a while the Holy Spirit blesses us with a powerful demonstration of his work convincing, converting, conforming hearers to the image of his son. This, brothers and sisters, is the Holy Spirit exercising his sovereign will over preaching. He does as he pleases. Now, he says here, not only is it power, but the Holy Spirit, but it says with full conviction. The word there for conviction is pleurophoria. It's not the conviction of revealing sin, righteousness, and judgment that we saw in John chapter 16, but rather it's with full wisdom or knowledge. In fact, what happens, it is to be absolutely sure to have complete certainty, to be convinced. The Spirit comes with a supernatural rhetoric able to break through any obstacle or mental preconceived notion of God, heaven, hell, or about Christ. This work penetrates to the deepest seat of the person's soul. Now we know that there are different reactions to the sermons. And, and, and Luke, it gives us four different souls. But this is deeper. This is the work that cuts deep such that you are no longer the same. In conversion, it is where the inv- individual says and believes, trusts and repents. And n- now knows they are a Christian. And they could never be the same again. Not by name only, but in life. By growth, it is the transformational work of the Spirit convincing man of the rightness and the trueness of Scripture and the glory of Christ and the abandonment of sin and the world. And you say, I am not that man anymore. I am not that woman anymore. I'm not that girl or that boy anymore. Lord, help me. Notice he says it's full conviction. It's the word there is a great deal, a great number. Quite literally, it's a lot of full conviction. He's saying this is what we need. This is what we pray for constantly. Spurgeon said it this way. He said, you would have thought that these men, therefore, were now in perfect position to go out to preach. He's talking about the disciples. But according to our Lord's teaching, they were not. They seem to have all the necessary knowledge, but that knowledge is not sufficient. Something further is needed. It is indeed essential. The knowledge indeed is vital, for you cannot be witnesses without it. But to be an effective witness, you need the power and the unction and the demonstration of the Spirit in addition. Now, if this was necessary for these men, the disciples, how much more is it not, how much more is it necessary for all others who try to preach these things? Next, spirit-empowered preaching works supernaturally in the hearers. And we could just look at that, notice in verse 6, that they received the word in verse 6. In much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit overcomes all the obstacles of unbelief. Overcome all the obstacles of doubt. And even if you are sitting here right now. And you are doubting. And you are sitting here right now. I am waiting for the day. I am praying for you. That God would penetrate through. Because if a person makes a convert. That's not a stable convert that person's going to change at any time but when Christ makes a convert he makes a convert forever 
Spurgeon said this. We wish to do our best to erect fresh places of worship. He says church planting. For this ever increasing city. And it is a happy day to me. Whenever I see the top stone brought out of a new house of prayer. But not one single soul shall ever be made to rejoice in Christ Jesus. By the mere fact of a place of worship being erected. Or of worship being celebrated therein. We must have the energy of the Holy Ghost. There is the one all important matter. What is there practical about this? Why then it becomes more and more imperatively necessary. That we should be much in prayer to God that the Holy Ghost would come. So in conclusion as we end this. Protect and pray. Protect. Be as a family committed to the preaching of the word. This is the most important time for you and your family to hear the word of God. Do not allow distractions and iPads and tablets and books. Train your kids to hear the word of God. Don't train them to be distracted by other things. Train yourself not to be distracted by other things. Don't be too busy to listen with attentive hearts. Prepare the night before. And don't be too tired to give full attention. Next, pray. Pray, of course. Paul himself said, and Brother Jeremy quoted this in Equipping Hour, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 and 19, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with perseverance and petition for all the saints. Pray on my behalf, he says, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness. The mystery of the gospel. And I ask and I beg that you would pray for all the teachers and all the preachers of RBC. And every time that you get to share the gospel with someone. Every time pray for the work that only the Holy Spirit can give. I don't know if I've, um, um, if I've added it there. Uh, did, you, uh, did you happen to add the lunch table discussions there? Okay, there's a, here's a couple questions you could ask. Uh, and we're going to start adding discussion questions. You could ask your own family when you go out to lunch. How about that? Okay. Number one, what are some ways that you as an individual or a family prepare to hear the preaching of God's word on the Lord's day? What are ways you could prepare? Number two, how does knowing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit free you when you evangelize? Number three, how does this particular teaching help you when you're scared or fearful to share about Christ? And number four, what type of preaching does God promise to bless? How does it change what you major on? Uh, I like to speak about the sermon with uh, whoever I'm having lunch with because it helps me to consolidate my thoughts. I'll say those again. What are some ways you could prepare for hearing the preach word on the Lord's day. How does knowing the empowerment of the Holy Spirit free you when you evangelize? How does this particular teaching help you when you're scared or fearful to share about Christ? And what type of preaching does God promise to bless? And how does it change what you major on? If the disciples majored on Christ, you should major on Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit helping us, equipping us, strengthening us, helping us to hear your word, helping us to understand your word. We pray, help us to sing.
Help us to fellowship. We love you and we praise you. Would you give us more more of the power, more of the persuasion, more of your word. Change us, Lord, in Jesus' name.